Ready for the word of the Lord this morning? I'm going to just share briefly from the word today um, as we prepare to go to the table of the Lord and observe communion at the end of this service. As I take you to a brief Old Testament uh, passage, I'm going to ask you to see that this message, which I'm titling today, God's Yes and His No. God's Yes and His No. This message today is somewhat of a precursor to what's going to happen next week. Um, My very close and dear friend, Randy Hurst, will be sharing in both Sunday morning and Sunday night service next week. That was just uh, made mention of in the announcements. And Randy is going to speak on the subject of divine guidance, divine guidance. Typically when Randy is here, he's speaking on the subject of missions, and I know of no one in the country that is finer at speaking on the subject of missions or more knowledgeable than, than my friend Randy. But when this date became available for him to be with us on Palm Sunday, uh, we began talking and praying, the two of us, about uh, what he would share, and then he began telling me about this Uh, teaching, two-part teaching that he's prepared on divine guidance. And so we determined this would be an appropriate time for him to share this at Bethesda. You know, for the, the whole of my Christian life, and I'm sure this is your experience too, there's never been a time when there hasn't been people trying to determine what is the will of the Lord for their life. It may be you, it may be your spouse, it may be a friend. I just remember even as a child in church hearing people say, I'm just trying to seek, I want to seek the will of the Lord. I want to be sure I'm in in line with the will of the Lord. And so that's always an issue for for believers. That may be a question that you are asking in this season of your life. We know that the steps of righteous men are ordered of the Lord, and my friend Randy in his studies has unlocked some key principles that I think will really be a great help to all of us. So I hope you'll make plans to be here next Sunday. He's also written a book that uh, corresponds with this subject, and I've asked him to make those available. It will happen next Sunday like this. In our morning 1030 service, his topic will be the key to guidance, the key to guidance. And then I've asked if he would remain for the evening prayer service, and he's going to do that. We'll take a slight departure from our normal format. We'll still pray for sure, but he's going to um, share at that time as well, and his topic will be hearing God's voice, hearing God's voice. That's next week on Palm Sunday. And speaking of Palm Sunday, can you believe we're only two weeks away from Easter? Wow, where has the time gone? Didn't we have a snowstorm like a week ago? Something like that. Two services on Easter Sunday at, what's the first one? Nine o'clock, and the second one is at, if you show up for a 1030 service, you'll be late for one and early for another, okay? And I certainly hope you will invite your unchurched friends to come and join us as we celebrate the risen Savior. I'm glad Jesus is alive. How about you? But today, in just a few short minutes, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and let's talk about when God says yes and when He says no. This week, my wife and daughter and I were able to take a a short trip to Phoenix, Arizona uh, for just a couple of days. My only sister, my only sibling, and her husband, who actually, uh, their home is in St. Louis, but they have a winter home in the Scottsdale Chandler area, and... um, they have our mother, my mother, out there with my sister for, uh, for some rehabilitation. My mother took a fall back in January, and so she's been rehabilitating there. And she heads back to St. Louis, uh, actually tomorrow, 
And uh, she's been a couple of months out there in Phoenix. And so I said to Becky, I said, we need to really, I really want to see my mom. Should we go to Phoenix where it's 80 degrees? Or should we go to St. Louis where they're covered up with snow? Phoenix, St. Louis. So we chose to go to Phoenix for a couple of days and were able to spend some time with family. As I said, our daughter was with us, and we were strolling along, my daughter and I, someplace in the street or wherever we were, and we were remembering that it was three years ago, just about now, just about this time of year, that my daughter, having completed her degree in logistics, was offered a job with the company for whom she still works today. And the reason that was particularly interesting this week was, uh, while we were in Phoenix, was this, that when she was going through the interview process, the company had made it clear to her, my daughter, that her employment with them would absolutely necessitate a relocation to another city. Well, mom and dad had to begin to embrace that idea uh, as the company made mention of several possible cities where she uh, could be relocated. And the city that they mentioned most often was Phoenix. And, you know, we thought that was a good possibility because Becky and I both enjoy Phoenix. It's a lovely city. There's a lot going on. It's a, I think it's a fun place. And we could see ourselves visiting her there very often. Plus, my sister and her husband live there part of the year, and my daughter could have some family close by. We thought that would be a great choice. But as the negotiations with the company continued... All of the other cities began falling off the radar, and Phoenix was pretty much the only one that remained the primary possibility, and we, could all, we were all getting excited over that. So our daughter began making preparations and, and thinking and planning in that way uh, toward moving to Phoenix and all that was going to be involved, when one day, toward the end of finalizing her plans for this employment, she received the phone call that changed everything. How many of you have ever received the phone call that changed everything? And they called and they said, uh, Sheridan, we've had a change in our plans for you. You will not be going to Phoenix now, but rather we're going to send you to Coffeeville, Kansas. <laughs> Phoenix, Coffeeville, Phoenix. <clears throat> and so she got off the phone. And I saw her face was just, you know, kind of falling. And she says, I'm... I'm moving to Coffeeville, Kansas. I said, where? She said, Coffeeville, Kansas. I said, oh, sweetie, you misunderstood. Surely they said Colleyville, Texas. I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that's what they meant. She said, Dad, that's not funny. So, well, let me just tell you, Coffeeville's a fine little community. It's in southeast Kansas, and the nearest Starbucks is 100 miles due south in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Just saying. It's not an issue for me. I'm not a coffee drinker. But. So, with a heart having been set toward a move to Phoenix, I stood by and her mom stood by as our daughter processed this change in, in really somewhat of a quiet way to herself. And as we strolled along this week, my, my daughter and I talking about it, it was the first time that she really had told me that three years ago when this happened, that the inner struggle was really much greater than what she had led on to me and her mother. And I, I wasn't surprised at that. I, I knew the disappointment was there. And though she didn't, you know, say much, she somehow got it together and we helped her move uh, to Kansas and she got a little small apartment and she settled into small town living. 
you know, I was, I was pleased as her dad at how she accepted the disappointment. We all know disappointments come in life. She accepted the disappointment, and she made all the necessary adjustments, and she realigned herself, and she moved on. But here's the reality that was kind of staring us in the face. It was this. God had said no to Phoenix and yes to Coffeeville. Did it make sense to us? No. Not at all, especially when she'd made her plans and preparations and set her heart. No to Phoenix and yes to Coffeeville. And I have a feeling that there are plenty of people in this room this morning that know what it is to have God say no to something you really wanted. Something that you've planned on, something you've, you've hoped for, that you've made preparations for. Have God say no to that, but yes to something that at that moment seemed far less than what you were hoping for, far less than your plans and dreams. Well, the story of our daughter, the end of the story goes like this. At the same time, God was saying no to Phoenix for our daughter and saying yes, <coughs> excuse me, to Coffeeville. God was, at the same time, saying yes to Coffeeville, Kansas for a fine young man whose name is Christopher Cooper. And let me just say that today, that young man whose steps were ordered through Coffeeville, Kansas, at the same time our daughter's steps were ordered through Coffeeville, Kansas, today that man is her husband. Here's what I'm saying to you. God knew what he was doing when he said no to Phoenix and yes to Coffeeville. Amen? <clears throat> Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. This is the end of David's life. He does something that is really quite historic that I, I want to read to you. To my knowledge, it's never been done like this by any other king. And David is about to call together all the big boys and the decision makers of First Chronicles in, in First Chronicles chapter 28. Let me, let me read it to you. First Chronicles 28, verse 1. David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals and captains, the overseers of the royal property and livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the other brave warriors in the kingdom. Basically, David brings them all together because uh, he's going to tell all of these people who are the most influential people in all of Jerusalem. These are the people that he works with, the people that he has loved and respected and that he has placed into leadership. And he's about to tell them a story that is really amazing to me. We have no record of any other king ever doing a thing like this or any other king walking in this level of humility as what we're about to see from David. Because David is not only going to tell them all a story, he's also about to tell these big boys, these guys he has there, he's about to tell them about a collision that took place between his will and God's will. And he's about to truly humble himself. His vulnerability in this act is so rare for a leader to demonstrate. And in so doing, he gives us example. And he teaches us what our response ought to be when we have the experience where God said no to what we wanted, but he said yes to something else. This is a situation that's common to all of us. 
There's not a man or woman in this place who hasn't experienced it at one time or another. Maybe there was a collision between who you wanted to marry and who God wanted you to marry. A collision between who you wanted to spend the rest of your life with and and who God wanted. Maybe it was a job that you wanted, but God wanted you to do something else. Maybe it was a place that you wanted to live, but somewhere else that God had in, in mind for you, where you were going to be placed. Has anyone ever in this room had an issue with God regarding this? <laughs> Has there ever been a time from career to your, a situation with your children, or maybe even a political candidate, an election that you wanted, but God said no? We've all had it. So we've all faced this kind of collision where it almost comes down to a a, a Lincoln-esque type of thing where Lincoln was asked during the Civil War, someone asked him this question, said, when you pray, whose side do you believe God is on? And Lincoln answered, I just hope I'm on God's side. I don't know about you, but I just want to be on God's side. Anybody else in the room today? You just want to be on God's side. But this collision of wills, It's not just something that you and I have experienced, but it's something that even the best of men had to go through because David is about to tell his story and his story of the collision of wills. Listen to these words in verse 2 of our chapter. David rose to his feet and he said, My brothers and my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it. But then verse 3 messes everything up. But God said to me, You must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and have shed much blood. And yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen the tribe of Judah to rule, and from among the families of Judah he chose my father's family. And from my father's sons the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. This is what David is essentially saying to this vast company of august people that he has there. He said, I intended and I prepared to build God a house. Next verse, God said, no, you won't build the house. I intended... I prepared, and now God steps in and says so, says no. It was David's intention to build. It was God's intention for him not to build. He not only intended, but he made preparation. And if you want to continue looking at this this afternoon, read the rest of 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and you'll see the unbelievable depth of preparation and plans that he, that he had made. Incredible detail. So the question really is this. Can you handle it? Can I handle it? When God wants to do something, but it's not through you. When God wants to provide a position for someone in a ministry or in a church, and it's not you, and you think you're the one that should be chosen. Have you ever been disappointed and wondering, why did they hire him? Why did they put her in that position? And Why didn't they pick me? I would pick me. Why didn't they pick me? And all of a sudden we are arguing with God because we have intended and prepared, but God said 
no. And that is one of the hardest words to hear from the Lord when God says no. But the ring is on my finger. But God said no. You've intended and you've prepared, but God said no. If God wants a temple, it's not going to be a Davidic temple, but it's going to be one built by his son Solomon. And I have to ask you the same question I've asked myself this week. When was the last time you heard from God, no? When was the last time you heard, you shall not? Last time you heard no from God. Because here's what I would suggest to you today, that our relationship with God can easily become suspect if we've never heard no from God. I get real nervous when I hear from people that all they hear is yes from God. If all you hear is yes from God, i, I got to be honest, I'm not really sure if you're talking to the living Savior. Because, I don't know about you, but it seems like God says no quite a bit. Anybody with me on that today? But we have to understand something. When God says no to us, He's protecting us, and he's letting us know he's got a better plan. He's got a better idea, not Phoenix, but Coffeeville. It's a better plan for you. But so often, we don't even ask him because we surely don't want to hear no from him. We would really essentially rather say to him, God, here's what I'm going to do. I've planned it. I've, I'm really I'm very organized. You'd be impressed with how I have this together. My ducks are all in a row, and this is a wonderful thing. Surely you're going to be happy. Here's what I'm going to do. So, Lord, we are asking you to bless it. We are all guilty of assuming so much, assuming so much that we don't even, to the point that we don't even ask God what His plan and what, what His will is. We assume God wants us to do something because it sounds good to us. We assume He wants us to perform something or to build something. And so as we look at this passage and we hear God say no to David, it causes all of us to be curious, I would think, to find out what David's response is. I know I'm curious about it. Because something happens in us whenever we hear no from God. Something dynamic takes place within each of us in our human nature and in our human frame when we hear God say no. And I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There is something of Eden that I think is here. Listen to me carefully. It was when Satan schemed to take all that God did for Adam and Eve and to put them in this garden. And the God said these words, you can eat from any tree in the garden except one. And which one? do you think the devil focuses on? The one that they are not supposed to touch. And this is what the enemy does. Oh, I hope you will apply this to your own life. The enemy will take your attention off the nine million other trees that you can touch and get you to focus only on the one thing that he does not want you to do. That's good preaching, Dan. Amen. God bless you today. They just kind of look at you like you're nuts, but okay. <laughs> the problem with this idea is this. We get so focused on the one thing that God says no to that we forget. We forget the millions of other times that God has given us a resounding yes. We get so overwhelmed with one single no. 
and it can completely obscure our vision from the myriad of blessings that he has poured out upon us time after time after time. And we find ourselves forgetting all that God has done because he said no just to one thing. If you read the story of the great tennis player Arthur Ashe, you will know that he died of AIDS when he contracted it from a blood transfusion during a heart surgery. And more than a great athlete, Ash was a gentleman who inspired and encouraged people both on and off the tennis court. But listen to what Arthur Ashe said when they asked him why he is not bitter or self-pitying regarding this disease he contracted when it was not his fault, but from a transfusion. When asked about it, Arthur Ashe said this. He said, when I ask why me when it comes to my troubles and my issues, he said, then I also have to say Why me every time God blesses me? Listen to that. He said, all we do is say, why me when something bad happens? But nobody is saying, why me when God does something good for them? Through all this snow and icy weather we had a couple of weeks ago, have you noticed that the airlines will never pay for your hotel or any inconvenience if you, if you were caught here, my friend Randy was here a couple of weeks ago and caught in this storm as well. And guess what? We were looking for a hotel for room for him, and the airlines would not pay for that hotel. Can you believe it? You know what their answer was? It's an act of God. <laughs> so we cannot help you. It is stunning to me to see how many people believe in God when you have to pay money for insurance and money for an airline. Everybody's a believer then. When all of a sudden it hails, act of God. When a hurricane comes, act of God. Tornado, act of God. Winds, act of God. But listen, church, if we're going to blame God for those things, then we had better give him the credit when he starts doing the stuff that blesses our lives. Don't just blame him for the bad stuff. Give him the glory for the good things that have taken place in your life. Next time God blesses you, that's the time to say, why me? I know why I didn't deserve it. I know why I wouldn't have picked me. But you did it anyway. Why me? That's the time to say, why me? This is exactly what David begins to do. He says, I wanted to build a house for God. God said no. And then David's response It ought to blow us all away. How does David deal with God's no? Look at verse 4. Here was his response. But he's telling all of these people around him. He says, and yet, he's just told them, I want to do this. I intended. I prepared. God said no. And yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he's chosen the tribe of Judah to rule. And from among the families of Judah, he chose my father's family. Can you believe it? And from among my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. And not only that, but from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards, for I have chosen him as my son, and I will be his father. I love this answer from David. David doesn't fall into Eve's trap, the trap that Eve fell into, and say, I can't believe he said no. 
I just can't believe he said, after all I've done for him, the Lord said no to me. I've served God for so long. I've stood in that choir for years. I've taught Sunday school. I've been a greeter. I've done this, stood on my feet on that hard floor out there for Sunday after Sunday. And God said no to me. No, he doesn't do that. What David says is this. God chose me from all the house of Israel to be king. It's kind of the Arthur Ashe thing. Why me? Why would he even choose me? Why would he pick our family? Doesn't he know how crazy we are? Why would he give me sons? And why so many of them? And why would he pick my son to take over? What David was doing, church, was this. He was recounting the blessings of God. Count your many blessings. Name them. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's a good time to do that. Recounting the blessings of God. Arthur, if you'll come to the keyboard, I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute. What David basically was saying this, I've got nothing to complain about. Got nothing to complain about when God says no. David says he wants to build a temple for God. God says no. David replies with this, and I hope it's a challenge to you as it has been a challenge to me this week. David says, you know what? Who am I to complain when I think about all the Lord has done for me? Who am I to complain because one time he said no, when a million times he has said yes. One no in the midst of millions of yeses? Are you kidding me? It doesn't even make sense to get depressed or to feel sorry for myself. I have nothing to complain about because God has been good to me. Who can lift their hand today and say, God has been good to me too? Who is that true for today? God will say no sometimes to my plan. God will say no sometimes to your plan. But church, listen to me. Oh, hear my heart today. It doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare to how many times God has said yes. How many times God has said yes. When I think of, the, of how many times God has said yes to my life and keeping me alive when there was a gun pointed to my head, when I think of when he said yes to my life, when a bullet grazed right past my ear, when I think that he said, yes, but you're not going to die, you're going to live. He said yes to my life when he kept me off an airplane that I was scheduled to be on that went down and everyone else perished and he kept me off that plane. Let me tell you something, church. God said yes for you to be saved. He said yes for you to be his son or his daughter. God said yes for you to get to church this morning. God said yes for you to get to worship him with a body of believers today. God said yes, I will give you a healthy life. God said yes, I will give you children. Yes, I will give you a family. Yes, I will bring you through many, many trials. God has said yes, I will put you in a great church. God said yes, you're alive. Yes, you can sing. Yes, you can see with your eyes. Yes, you can hear with your ears. God said yes. God said yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give him your highest hallelujah today. God said yes. And we're going to focus. We're going to focus on one no. Everyone standing, please. We're going to focus on one no. God says, no, you can't marry him. And she says, well, then I'm going to become an atheist. Because he gave you one no, 
And he's sending you to Coffeeville instead of Phoenix. He says no to one thing and we forget the nine million other things, the nine million other trees he has provided for you. You know what? Most of you got to eat yesterday. You woke up and you breathed air today because God said yes to you. You walked on legs today. You got to use your arms today. You got to lift your, your hands to God and worship today. You can jump up and down because God said yes to you. You can talk with your mouth. You're in your right mind, most of us, because God said yes. Hallelujah, God has said yes. He has said yes to you so many times. He has said yes to me. He's spared you. He's guarded you. He's protected you. Time and time and time and time again. He said yes for you to live today. And you know what? Every day is a gift. I hear my pastor say that all the time. Every day is a gift. And God said yes to you that you get to live today. You know what he said? He has said yes to you for your healing. And Pamela, I don't know where you are in the house today. We're going to pray for you after the service. But God has said yes for your healing in Jesus' mighty name. He said yes to you for your salvation. He has said yes to you when so many times he could have said no. But he has said yes. And when he does say no, that's okay because he's still good and he's still God even if he says no. Come on, put your hands together.